often wonder which character we would be if we were actually a character in the Bible. And in this episode, we're going to discuss Acts chapter 16, where a demon-possessed girl is liberated and Paul and Silas are arrested subsequent to the exorcism. So in this, we're going to be talking about who we would want to be, who we would not want to be. And we really want those of you out there in the audience to join in the conversation. Tell us who you would like to be, who you wouldn't want to be. We're really walking in this so that we can glorify God and see the many ways which God brings liberty and freedom and the gospel message to the world around us. So thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And I'm not the only one here in Cord Purgatory. We actually have a full clergy crew today, and I'll just let everyone introduce themselves really quick. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And we thank you for joining us. Again, we have a new website, kingdomofthelogos.com. We've got articles coming up there. We are trying to grow that. You can check out our podcast. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, a lot of different places. Check out our YouTube videos. We just put out a movie review of The Lion King. And check that out. See what you think about it. Got some cool things out there. But today, we're going to be going to Acts chapter 16. And we really do want to hear your thoughts on this. Tell us what you think about this story. Because oftentimes, we, we go through Bible stories. And I know I'm guilty of this. Um, I think we can all say, honestly, there are times we get and we read through Scripture and we kind of do it quickly or we separate things out and we forget to couple all of Scripture within its context. Today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16, the story where Paul and Silas, they are in prison. But we're going to couple that with the events that led them up to being in prison. Because so many times we hear about the, the great glory of God liberating them and we forget the events which led up to that because there's some interesting things that happen there. So today, let's go straight into Acts chapter 16, and we're going to begin right in verse 16. So let us read this very fascinating story. So it opens up as follows. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune telling. Now, let's take a break for a second before reading verse 17. What we see happening here is there's a slave girl. She's evidently young. So this is like a child that is possessed by a demon and she's a slave. So we've got this girl. There are people who own her. And then there is not only just physical possession by other people that are owners, but then there is also demonic possession going on here. So you've got a whole few levels of evil and tyranny coming to, to prey on this poor girl. Picking up in verse 17, while she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, these men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you all a way of salvation. Verse 18. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews, and they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. Now, let's take a break before picking up in verse 22. What we see happening here is there are people, they hate the liberty of the gospel. They say, these Jews, they're advocating for customs. And what is the custom they're advocating for? Just being free of demonic possession. You know, they're doing something which is a, a wonderful good for this poor child 
And there are people that hate that. We, we never can forget that there are people in the world who they hate the gospel. They hate the freedom that it brings. They hate the righteous transmission that actually liberates people because there are a lot of people who they draw their power from these wicked things. There are evil forces like the demon who draws his power from a girl being in slavery. And then there are people who own slaves who draw their power from the girl being possessed by a demon. There's a lot of times evil will capitalize on evil, and it's a terrible, terrible thing. But beyond that, we also see that these righteous men are being accused in the public sphere of unrighteousness. They're being accused that they are immoral, that they're not doing things which are lawful for the Romans to do. They're being essentially falsely accused, or even if you look at it from the legal perspective, there, there may be some justification of this by the standards of the world. You know, they're, they're taking away something where people get income, but it's done in a really wicked way that's against the divine order of God. Let's pick up in verse 22 because the story takes another turn. In verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had stripped them of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with them rods. Verse 23, after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into the prison and ordered the jailer to keep them there securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he was supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house, and at that same hour he took them and washed their wounds, and then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. Verse 34, He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. All right, so in this story, it's a fascinating, fascinating text. You get a couple of times people are liberated. Um, so not only do we see the jailer in his conversion, but before that, you see the, the young demoniac. You have this girl possessed by a demon. She's liberated from that. Now, tradition tells us that she does become a believer, though we don't find all the details of her life here in the, the book of Acts. But there's two similar stories where people are miraculously freed from a, a, a place where they're imprisoned. And, you know, that's a powerful thing. This is what the gospel does. This is what the church is to do. We're not accidentally called to be here. It's not some random occurrence that Paul and Silas have the ability to do this, or even Luke, who's there watching this. But God has given us a beautiful opportunity to be his instruments. Now, now that we've heard the story, we've read the text, we've read our scriptures, and they are wonderful, let's actually step into it, because we do. We look at these stories, who would I be, who would I not want to be? Let's start off with that second question of who do we not want to be, and we're just going to go around our studio here, Cord Purgatory, and we'll begin with Pastor Amanda. You look at this text, you see the wonderful things happening here, you see some tragic things happen here. Who would you not want to be in this story? I think I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't want to be the uh, the owners, uh, the slave owners, um, the ones that were oppressing the little girl, um, because uh, they really take on the, the characteristic of kind of the archetype of, uh, of a villain in this story, because, I mean, one, they are the slave owners, but then uh, 
they they take they, the way they get their income is by using and abusing her and now they've lost their way of income so in the sense like even when uh them living into this destructive lifestyle it was working for them for a while and then it, it of course reached its inevitable end which was it was no longer working for them and they try to still even manipulate that and they try to uh again kind of work within the order that they really the order of chaos um i guess but to kind of you know continue this manipulation and this oppression and it ultimately won't work out for them because uh not only have they lost their income but we see in this this story where a lot of people get a little bit more of a resolution of uh salvation and moving towards wholeness uh are the slave owners are kind of left in their um depravity yeah and that's the thing is totally depraved their conscience is seared they they're they're slave owners and they've got one of their slaves possessed by a demon. So, like, talk about, like, the misery going on in this poor child's life. It's, it's horrible. It's wretched. And for the slave owners, they witness this wonderful, powerful act of liberty come to this child. And they look at it and they hate it. Yeah. So, to your point, Amanda, you're saying just you don't want to be them because you don't want your conscience to be so seared that when you see such an act of God, you get mad and you go and you start name calling and just well, go yeah. before the state. Well, and also they're just so lost that when they see the way out, they they're, they almost like dig themselves in deeper. Yeah. Like someone just threw them a lifeline and they're like swimming down into the depths. They're like, nah, we're good. Like, we're just gonna keep on drowning here. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's sad. It, yeah. it really is. And it, it's not something where, um, I mean, maybe because this is in Philippi, this is where Lydia and her group that are meeting by the river to pray that you can only hope that uh, eventually maybe they would hear the gospel again and again and they would find salvation. But as of this story where it stands as where we leave them in scripture, it is quite, quite uh, disheartening. Yeah. And, and to your point, Pastor Amanda, um, yeah, this is who we don't want to be. We don't want to be in that level of depravity. Well, Pastor Mike, coming around to you, who would you not want to be in this story? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be uh, one of the prisoners or the other prisoners, not necessarily Paul and Silas, but one of those prisoners who are who are there, you know, uh, don't know what they're in prison for, but we really, you know, they don't escape. Uh, obviously, they've been listening to Paul and Silas sing after they've been beaten, and, you know, being beaten with rods is sometimes something you don't survive. Uh, so, but nonetheless, they remain prisoners, and we don't know what their outcome is. I think that's a hard place to be. Uh, again, I, I want to be uh, kind of like Pastor Amanda with with the place of the owners because you know obviously they are worshiping uh, a god of greed and and consumerism and and all about finances, uh, and they just can't hear the gospel story. But since I'm not going to be able to choose uh, someone I'm, that's already been chosen, I'm going to go with the, the other person. Well, it's it's fine if you just want to reaffirm that. Yeah, because, I'll, I'll reaffirm exactly okay. what she said because so, you know that that is sad that you can't hear the gospel because you worship a, a God um, that is so um, chaotic and it's a chaotic story there. Yeah and so but to what you were hinting at there with the other prisoners we, they're kind of left open-ended I'm not sure how I'll have to do a little bit more studying on what the early church recorded in their regards I don't know off the top of my head if any of them are recorded as being saved but it seems that with all the details you know like that we hear all sorts of stories where people are saved like this, but the prisoners, we never get that. They're just kind of left there. They watched a beautiful miracle, just as the owners did, and yet the owners, they look at this and they say, you know what? We don't want that lifeline. Mm -hmm. Go down deeper. Let's drown. 
Let's go total depravity. Let's go all the way back to the void. Yeah, let's let's drown in this mess. You know, it's, it's wretched. It's, it's horrible. You don't want to want to live like that. And we have hearts for people like that. It's it's so sad to see people that seared from from anything good. Anthony, what are your thoughts on this story? Who would you not want to be? What is the the lesson that you learned from this about who to not be? Well, I certainly do not want to be the magistrates. I mean, first of all, they completely uh I guess this really is a, a an account of some prejudice here because um they completely prejudge Paul. Uh they don't even consider his citizen his citizenship and ignore the fact that he possibly could have been a citizen and start to execute justice um totally with their own hands and so that's really bad for them to do obviously but also i don't want to be them because they've also got to deal with the next few weeks of some serious fear concerning their superiors if word were to get out that they had mistreated Roman citizens, or having to worry about whether or not Paul yeah. would press charges against the magistrates and, himself. And all that's, all of that will be addressed in the future, um, as as things unfold. But yeah. um, um, but beyond that, I've got to say also that I've got some hesitations about being Paul, and here's sort of why. Um, mm. In light of another story that is, uh, whenever Moses releases water from the rock pretty much in spite of the people's lack of faith god says to moses afterwards that uh he wouldn't get to see the promised land because he didn't do it to glorify god he did it in anger and in spite of the people and so um he was denied the promised land here uh paul very much annoyed turned and said to the spirit and he exercised the girl and so um Pastor Amanda recommended to do some research on the word uh, very much annoyed, or the phrase anyways. It turns out more to be related to the word um, dia paneo, which is um, I am greatly troubled. And so this is sort of the uh, adjective participle version of it. And So basically, uh, your, your hesitation with Paul is, um, just to, to get everything driven home for the audience, is basically that... Paul doesn't immediately have an instinct to say, you know, I need to exercise this girl. It's only after he's greatly troubled or he is annoyed or something to that effect that that causes a well. He's a using in the power mind. of God uh, for reasons which are not directly related to glorifying God, which is the same thing Moses did. And whether or not he was annoyed, which in English sort of gives this irritable, angry connotation, or whether or not he was just simply greatly troubled, which that word has to do with um, per- pertaining to either grief or anxiety, but also it can have to do with the amount of labor that you have to do to get a job done, sort of someone who's overworked. Yeah. So it still sort of carries along, along with it anxiety. Um, whether or not it's either one of those definitions of the word, he's not doing it out of motivations right, right, to right. glorify God. He's doing it out of motivations for uh, sort of stress and how he feels. And so I think this is also important to compare to the fact that this situation doesn't work out too well, where Paul is using the power of the Spirit to not to glorify God. Later, whenever he has the opportunity to escape the prison and instead behaves meekly, uh, he there is an inspiration of faith there. All right, Pastor Mike, what was your, your thoughts on that? I know you had a little different perspective. Well, you know, I, I don't have the hesitation uh, about Paul because I do think that Paul... 
um, sold out 100% on Jesus to proclaim um, the good news of Christ Jesus. And though this uh, slave girl, this demon-possessed girl, really the things that, that are being said are true. Um, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. Uh, that is true, but it's undermining uh, what Paul is trying to do and share the gospel and go to a place of prayer. And so I, I feel like, you know, for Paul, uh, that it do, he is trying to bring glory to God. And maybe he is not doing this to bring glory, but it is in the way, and well, it's a hindrance. But yeah, I, I, you know, I can see what Anthony's saying, but I just happen to disagree well, with him. Just to take the two, I think we can actually see a couple of perspectives here. One is the potential that Paul is kind of hesitant to do this until he gets kind of annoyed or perturbed by it. And then the other possibility is maybe there's just a light bulb moment for him. Oh, yeah, there's an idea. Because there, there's a lot of times, I mean, if we're honest, we're not as self-aware as the world as sometimes we, we mm -hmm. pretend that we are. There are things which slip by that are right under us, and we, we don't see them until something's pointed out. So maybe there's a, a delay in him recognizing, oh, I need to deal with this. Well, so that's the, the light the, bulb moment. The demoniacs don't always come like in The Conjuring or something that is really, really heinous, but this is probably some slave child that, you know, of course, probably being abused in all kinds of ways, obviously from the, the context of what little bit we get in the story. And so for Paul, you know, I think there is a, a light bulb moment that goes off and says, you know, this, this is a demon. Yeah. Uh, possessing this little girl it needs to be cast out or exercised out. Well, that is interesting. So those are some different perspectives on that. Um, but Anthony did definitively say that who he didn't want to be was the magistrates. Just That's true. So that we're clear. So the people we've had so far on this list are the magistrates, the owners, and you kind of took the stance of the owners too, um, as Amanda did, but then also the potential for these, these prisoners, people who are bystanders in the story and were kind of unmoved by it. Well, the people that I want to do since we're going full circle around here, is I don't want to be a member of the crowd. So if you go back up to, to our scripture, and we, we read through here in verse 22, it says the crowd joined in in attacking them. And what we find in that, that particular verse there is you have these masses of people. They applaud kind of when they're, the, when the whole culture says it's time to applaud, they applaud. When the whole culture says it's time to pick up stuff and start beating people, they do it. You know, they, they have their moments where they're they're doing everything in sync with what the main spirit of the culture is doing. They're everything which is in tandem with the spirit of the age, and they're not really thinking for themselves. And I don't want to be somebody who just does whatever the, the motion of the culture is and getting on the train. You know, the whole gospel says you we're to be set apart, and these people, they're clearly not living set apart. They're just waiting for the next movement in the culture, and I don't want to be one of them. But those of you out in the audience, you may disagree with us. You may agree with us. Send your, your thoughts, your questions, your comments on all of this. And let's go around for round two and see who we want to be in this and how God has really shown his glory in this because that's what is so inspiring about this text. It's a wonderful story of liberty. You know, the whole title of this program is A Biblical Escape Room. And that's really what's going on here. People are escaping from prisons of life. You know, that's one of the pieces of language missing from our modern world. You don't hear a lot of people talking about liberty. You don't hear um, people talking about freedom from sin. You don't hear people talking, even in the Church of the Nazarene, if we're honest, we don't talk about holiness and sanctification as much as we should on the macro scale. I know a lot of still preachers do here. I know I talk about it a lot. And I know the all Trinity talk about it a lot. But we need to get back to this idea that God comes to liberate us from things, to give us freedom. And that's what this story is about. So who do we want to be in this text? Pastor Amanda, who would you like to be if you were a character in this, in this story? story? Well, in this story, I would like to be uh, Luke. 
and actually he's never mentioned by name in the story um but we we see in that first verse it says that we were going to a place for prayer we met a slave girl and um it it many biblical scholars believe that luke wrote acts so that the the author of the gospel of luke kind of continued that story on with acts and probably followed paul along uh, around uh from mo most of Paul's missionary journeys and different things. And so when you see in Acts where it takes on that uh, first person plural, then probably Luke was with Paul. And if it takes on kind of a third person, then probably Luke heard the story later and was writing it down as Paul was relaying the story or whoever was the main character in, in the, whatever passage in Acts. So at this point in the story, we're th we think that Luke was a part of it. And it's quite fascinating. Luke gets to witness all of this fantastic stuff and gets to journey with Paul and Silas and others uh, throughout uh, the known world at that time and proclaim the message. Um, what also is kind of an added bonus, particularly in this story, is when we get down to the part where they were arrested, um, it just mentions Paul and Silas. Um, and we do believe that Luke was a Gentile, so I guess he looked Gentile enough not to be, uh, when the crowd started saying, or well, the I think it was the slave owners who said, well, the Jews are stirring up trouble. Luke kind of got to escape that a little bit. He didn't get beaten by rods, at least how um, we read, the, uh, read into the story. Uh, so that's an extra bonus, because uh, I don't think any of us, although Although we, we would all hope that we have the faith and the courage of Paul and Silas, nobody really wants to get beaten with uh, rods and stuff like that uh, and thrown into prison. Mm. So I think Luke gets to enjoy a lot of the, the beauty of the story. And um, also, I just I love the idea of um, of just traveling with Paul and Silas and being a witness to that. Um, it, it just quite quite fantastic. Well, let me ask you this, Amanda. We are setting ourselves in the the story with our own feet. If you're Luke and you are lucky enough to not get beat, would you feel guilty? Well, I think a little <laughs> bit in the sense of I, I think like survivor's guilt maybe, but I think that guilt would uh, pass pretty quickly because uh, any companion of Paul, regardless if you this, are named in the story or not, you're going to face trials and tribulations. Yeah. Um, Odds are he, he, he had to face things like shipwrecks, yeah. uh, starvation, um, traveling. So this, just the this is almost just part of the right, this this is, is just part this of the journey. This is par for the course yeah, yeah, at this point. Yeah. Um, Luke is probably uh, thinking, well, and Luke was a physician, we, we believe, and so he probably traveled with Paul a lot because Paul, after all of his injuries and the various things, was probably quite ill. Um, and had different physical um, ailments because of that. And so, I mean, Luke's just probably like, man, this is like, I, this is how he, he is making, um, this is his life, is taking care of Paul and writing his story. Um, so, so yes, I think there was obviously very human troubles and, and maybe even a little bit of guilt, but there was quite abundance of joy in these stories as yeah, well. Yeah. So, you started bringing up that Luke's a doctor, and I started envisioning this as an old Star Trek episode. Yes, right. He really did. Yeah, Paul, <laughs> I guess. Well, you yeah. even, oh, I have to mention this now since you mentioned Star Trek. When you read uh, the one verse like, sir, what must we do to believe? You read it almost as if you were Shatner. And I was like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> yes. Because Paul does become kind of the Captain Kirk, which would make Luke um, McCoy, which, and, which is to just your fantastic. Point, all of these are these are adventures of the gospel. This yes. is the adventure of holiness lived out. This is just another episode for Luke. Like he's the doctor. It's like, well, this time I'm not, you know, the one with the broken bones, but I'll I'll tend to these guys. Yeah, that definitely puts it in a different light there. Um, Pastor Mike, who would you want to be if you're in this story? Well, I think if we as we read this story, it's filled with so much chaos and but the one who experienced 
you know, chaos to the point where he's ready to take his own life is the jailer. Because truly, if the, the prisoners had escaped, he would have lost his life, uh, you know, by, by letting his job down. But in turn, Paul cries out to him. And, you know, he, he finds salvation and not only that, his whole household. And that is not just his family. It includes his family. Uh, what greater gift than to find the salvation of God? And then I guess just right there with it is your family to find that salvation. Yeah. And I would go on to say that it's whoever's living in that household. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so the... like at our house, we have different folks come and stay with us from different times. And, and I love them just like I do my family. Uh, many of them, they're close friends and and uh, some are relatives, but to see everyone being part of the salvation and coming into that, it's a great joy. So without a doubt, I would like to be the jailer. Oh, that is good, yeah. I Order mean, to the chaos. And and supplemental to just add on that a little bit, because when we were doing show prep, I know there's a, a temptation with the first half of the story with the, the girl. We really wish we knew much, what went on more with her. We wish we knew more of what happens to her after this because she goes from being a slave that's being extorted for you know demonic purposes to where she's liberated and and we want to know what happens to her because she kind of becomes a worthless slave after that but you know she's not worthless to the eyes of god you know she she certainly if christian tradition does us justice in telling us that she does become a believer knowing where she finds liberty in the rest of her life would be something we really want to know and i i wish we knew more of her history and if anyone out there knows more of the history on that please do let us know or we can point us in the right direction on that um but moving along around now anthony who would you want to be if you were in this story in this passage from acts i would want to be the jailer's family and uh the first and most obvious reason for this is because they actually get brought into uh, the church pretty much immediately. Um, but also because the jailer's family come into the church in a very, very relatable way. Um, their entrance into the kingdom is on the basis of the testimony of those that they know and that they love. And I think that is something that we can all relate to today yep. is um, that reliance on the testimony of others to um, experience it yourself and it's sort of uh, this idea of like faith seeking understanding um, they've had faith in that testimony first and then experienced the real salvation that uh, Christ uh, has to offer them through the messengers of Paul and Silas and so I think they're a good uh, bunch to want to be also I think this is a good opportunity to get into some, some of the, like the meat of what I was trying to say earlier which is that here there's sort of two parts of the story obviously there's the exorcism of the girl and then there's the uh salvation brought to the jailer and his family and these acts are sort of divided in maybe if you if you can agree with my sort of moses interpretation of paul earlier in a weird way um and so here in the second story we can see very clearly that paul and silas are actively living meekly they have the opportunity to escape the jail they have the opportunity to escape the jailer whom they have no personal ties to but instead they see that he would have killed himself and they remain and they tell him that you know you don't have to do that because we are still here we've not escaped and so your life can be preserved and this this act of absolute meekness and true love is what saves this yeah. man and 
what ult- it saves his life immediately, but also it, it inspires to... his faith. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's a very, very powerful, moving thing. Even though what Paul did earlier might seem to be a greater act of the Spirit, I think it was more motivated out of the fact that he was troubled or annoyed than out of um, his living as Christ-like as possible and meekly. And so I think there's a contrast there in the effects also because the effects of uh, exercising that girl led to no inspiration of faith, whereas the effects of simply remaining meek and seeing that you could either risk your life in the jail or risk the life of the jailer and choosing instead to risk your own life led to not only the saving of his life but to uh, the saving of his soul and um, entry into the kingdom of God. Yeah, So that and that testimony of meekness, let's just hang on that note for a second. Because oftentimes our culture wants to confuse weakness and meekness. You know, they sound similar. You can flip a M upside down and make a W. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We, we have graduated um, kindergarten. Um, but no, seriously, meekness and weakness are very different. Um, often you'll hear me say you can't be meek if you're weak because meekness is basically self-control. It means you have, you have some element of strength, of power, whether that's physical strength, like you're a great warrior, or it means you're just someone who's really wise. You have a great intellect and you know how to manipulate things and crunch numbers. Instead of you using your power to your own benefit or whatever, whatever position you have, maybe you're not even smart, maybe you're not strong, but you're just in a position where you get to call the shots. Find yourself in a jail after an earthquake where all the locks are left Absolutely. loose and the doors are you, open. You have the moment. You, you have the moment. It is in your favor. You get to do what it want and other people pay the consequences to say, I am not going to use my position to my control. And again, I'm not just handing it over to the world either. Like there, a lot of times people will come to the church and say, well, just surrender to stuff. Like, no, 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 there's, there's an end to this. You, we read sentences as complete thoughts. You're surrendered to God and what God wants you to do, not what some worldly collective wants you to do, not a government, not a collection, not a tribe, not anything like that, but to what God wants you to do and who God wants you to be and who God designed you to be. Surrendering to that, you know, going back to the Lion King, you're not living Hakuna Matata out in the wilderness. You're, you're <laughs> going to actually be the king. Yeah, oh, you're, you're not on the line of indifference. You're actually stepping into the circle of life, which is designed by God. And you're saying, I'm going to be the one God designed me to be. And in that moment, that testimony does inspire people's faith. And that's good. Well, I'd like to say, I, you know, I agree a lot more with Anthony than, than just on the show um, here, but it seems like I'm disagreeing a little bit. But I, I, I think, and I will agree with this, I think humility and meekness is so much an important part and a trait of who we should be in the Christian character. But I, however, Paul's dealing with a demon, and I'm not sure that, you know, humility, there's a time and a place for everything. And um, you, you've got to have the wisdom of God to know which. And I believe he had that wisdom there. So just a little pushback, but I do agree with what well, he said. Look, healthy disagreement is yeah, fine. The church, disagreement, the church yeah. really needs to see more healthy disagreement. And we'll just but, have to wait. But building off of, of what you said, because you brought up a word, humility. Humility and meekness are connected. Yes. But meekness and weakness are not. If you're sitting in the jail <laughs> and you've got shackles on your feet and you're like, hey, jailer, I'm pulling one over you. I'm not breaking out. He's yeah. going to be like, what, what you going to do anyway? You're over there locked up. And that's a different and context. That, that's, that's weakness. But when you actually are sitting there and the shackles are broke off your feet, the doors are open and you can walk out and you say, I'm not going to leave. So you have to kill yourself. You know, that's meekness. Weakness is when you're in there locked up and you're like, I ain't leaving. And you don't have the power to. It's like, yeah, not doing anything anyway. Well, give Anthony a chance yeah, for a rebuttal. Anthony, Anthony you uh, got to. Well, I just want to say that, to be honest, uh, I really sympathize with even Moses being frustrated at the people who are, you know, fretfully begging for water, 
faithlessly, just scared for their lives whenever God had provided over and over and over. I can understand being mad at the people and striking the rock and calling the water into being. And I think it was a good thing that the people got water still, you know? And in the same way, and maybe, I, I don't want to say that I'm reading this into the text, but it does seem that the um, the trouble, the troubled spirit that Paul has, or at least uh, his troubled state of sure. being, is what's motivating to do this. I sympathize with him also. If I had to deal with someone running around mm-hmm. uh, saying yep. over and over that I was a slave so, of the Most High God to proclaim the way of salvation, at some point, even if that might be a good thing for her to be saying, it doesn't. I would be very, very annoyed, or at least I'd be troubled and thinking to myself, "Good heavens, how am I ever supposed to do anything with this young girl over here screaming well, all the time?" It's in the top right, Pastor Man. I knew you had some <laughs> oh, thoughts. Oh well, you no, to I was just here. gonna say yes. I agree with Anthony. Like, I think the, although the character I wish I could be in the story was Luke, I think I identify most with Paul, and not in the sense like because I, I think I'm a great preacher, or missionary, or anything like that, but because. Paul is so sassy. I I also wish I could reach that level. And we see it a lot in the story. Like, Paul gets to... I, I would think, like, just my temperament, that would be how I would exercise somebody. Not out of, like, grace or, or <laughs> any kind of righteous strength. It would just be out of annoyance. I would, And then well, also, like, after this passage, the magistrates are like, oh, we messed up. And so they try to send Paul and Silas out quietly. And Paul's like, no, you come here yourself and apologize. And then later in the gospel, or not the gospel, but the story of Acts, he almost gets set free. And he's in front of, I think it's King Agrippa. And Agrippa's just like, well, we'll figure this out. And Paul's like, no, I... I appeal to caesar and you're like paul this is why you're in jail <laughs> you keep being sassy to the wrong people well you and know it's fantastic and i love it <laughs> in, in the the kingdom of god we are referred to as a family not like generic community or neighborhood it's a family structure and when you're family that doesn't mean everybody just comes around and says oh i'm gonna give you a hug and it's ooey gooey hippiness <laughs> the truth of it is when your family you're like you know kind of want to strangle them but I love them anyway, and and I've got to eat at the dinner table with them. I've got to get, I've got to make peace because you know if I go to bed mad at him, I'm gonna be mad at him in the morning. And we're gonna be <laughs> at it just again. There, there's an idea in the family of God that we we kind of are sincere and real with one another, and sometimes we we have things which rise out of those moments where we want to be spiteful. You know that carnal nature which you know it dwells in us. It wants to rise up and take control over us, but God says, look, if you do well, you rule over it. <laughs> well, to to use will. the biblical language, you're almost citing almost the exact words yourself, but, you know, sin is crouching at the door. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But within the family of God, coming full circle, we love one another, even though sometimes we do things with family love, the love we have for our brothers and sisters. That's the, the language we have. We're, we're all siblings in the gospel, and that that is a good thing. All right, so who do I want to be? <laughs> yeah, Coming sorry. full circle, yeah. But this has been a fun conversation. And again, comments, questions, they're always welcome. Um, and we encourage them. We want to hear from you. So if I had to say who I would want to be, and I'm going to take this further than just the jailer, just the jailer's family, I want to be someone asleep in that household. <laughs> Whether you're a servant, slave, child, brother, whatever, who cares? <laughs> I want to be someone that's asleep in there because we always use in, in Scripture the whole, you know, Christ is going to return like a thief in the knife, a thief in the night. And in like the Christian culture, where we always use that as like a club. Whenever somebody says Jesus is going to return on seven seven seven, we're like, no, thief in the night. We don't know. <laughs> like, like we beat one club with another club. <laughs> like somebody comes in and slaps us, and like on eleven eleven eleven, he's going to be back. It's always like some number that rhymes or something. It's true. Like somebody, tell me I'm wrong. I'm going to hang no. a little sign out. Tell me I'm wrong. These people. We need a higher class of of um, <laughs> heretic. But, but um, <laughs> we come to this seriously, 
And this is actually like a real thief in the night experience for them. Like you're going to sleep because let's be honest, we're family. If you're in the jailer's household, he's working the knife shift, but knife shift, night but shift. shift. <laughs> but if you're probably not sitting at home saying to yourself, it's 3 a.m. I'm so glad that the, you know, the head of our household is out at jail right now. Like he's doing his job. Like it's great. No, they're all asleep. And you get woke up in the middle of the night and you are about to meet your God. You are about to meet the gospel and you're not meeting your God because you've passed away, but somebody wakes you up and says, you're about to go from the way of death, this mode of existence, which is bent towards sin. It's bent towards chaos. It's bent toward an eternity separated from God. You are going from that level of eternal peril to the eternal assurance that says you are on the way of life. Your salvation is in Christ Jesus. You're going to get baptized. That total transformation that happens and it comes like a thief in the knife. You're asleep and you get woke up and that transformation that happens there, I think it would be really cool to experience that. Um, it's not a testimony that a lot of people I've ever heard have that somebody just comes in and is like, it's time to meet Jesus. <laughs> um, I think that's just cool. That's who I would want to be. Anthony, I know you got a response well, to imagine that. Imagine the unworldliness that you have woken up to. You know, the jailer, he gets to experience this while awake, but they get, well, it's so poetic. They get woken up from uh, their their lives in the world yep. into some of the most unworldly things that you could find. Who has the opportunity to escape jail, allow their jailer to kill themselves and escape and does not? I mean, that's, you know, no loose ends. You have no problems. Your life all of a sudden went from awful to, you know, you've got the opportunity to have a scapegoat and everything. No loose ends at all. You're straight. But they don't take it, and that is not worldly. The worldly thing to do, the humanly thing to do, is well, to take that opportunity. To build on your language of otherworldly, it is kind of like waking up into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, exactly. Like you just you just woke up. You got woke up. Say you're you're a servant. You're a you're a slave. You're somebody that's actually blood kin. Who who cares? You get woke up and you're told it's time to. To, time, to time to get baptized, time to accept the Lord Christ Jesus, because it doesn't just come in and say like they're, they're, it's thrust upon them. Like they actually come and speak to them. Paul comes and preaches and they they get baptized. They, they hear the message. They, they hear the gospel. The, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And at that same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. And he and his entire family were baptized without delay. Just I love that. <laughs> That'd be so, so great to be a part of that. Such a such a cool testimony. Well, you know, Mr. I think, too, maybe that, that perhaps uh, this earthquake that, that you know, obviously the, the house was close right there to the prison. And so when the earthquake came, you know, they they might have been even woke up by that. And, it's, you know, that part of the world, they get earthquakes often, I would imagine. So um, being on that, that area of the fault line. But if, if they were awoke, uh, awakened by the earthquake, then they may have already been thinking, what is to happen of our dad if they have escaped or what has happened to if he has a wife her husband you know what what's happened and so i'm thinking their world um was chaos to the moment that they saw these uh, you know and i'm sure they're they they look somewhat hideous being um, beaten and put in prison they come in and wash their wounds what a a uh, a night of experience for them, like you said, from going um, really from chaos to some type of order being yeah. in the kingdom of God. Well, and that doesn't mean their life was great from that point forward because... No, then, no, no. But you're moving the, from one 
mode of existence to another. And mm-hmm. that's the thing. Like you, We talked earlier, and I think Pastor Amanda opened us up with saying she didn't want to be the owners. You know, there are people who they've lived in chaos. They've capitalized on chaos. They've, they've extracted as much goodies as they can from chaos. They've made other people suffer. And then when they're faced with a situation where the gospel is actually bringing someone liber- liberty, they just kind of dig in their heels and say, no, we don't want that. And then for these other people, and again, the gospel tells us everybody's on the way of death until you receive Christ and, and are on the way of life. That's just the, the inherent bent. And so even for these people in the household, while they're not you know, slave owners, some of them may be slaves themselves, we don't really know, but they're not people who are doing what those owners were doing. They're not people who have just outright rejected it. Instead, there are people who receive it when they're exposed to it. Right. To see that total comparison of how different people respond to that is a it's just a really, really interesting thing to look at. And that's what grace is all about. It either yeah. You either accept the divine um, gift and love of God or you reject yeah. it. And so we see both going on in this story. Absolutely. Well, that's where we're going to wrap this up. Thank you for joining us. Send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. If you'd like to donate monetarily, you can do it at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. But message us. Send us a comment. Send us a thought. Send us an email. You can do that at kingdomofthelogos at outlook.com. Who would you like to be in the story and who would you not want to be where do you see god's grace being revealed and with that note are all hearts and minds clear any final thoughts well at peace all right if all hearts and minds are clear we'll see you later god love you